This morning as we watched the drama, as we heard the song, there's this tension. And if you're married, you might have felt it once or twice. I call it the tension when your backs are turned toward each other in bed and it's like ice. For some of you, it may be just happens every once in a while, but for others, it may be the norm in which you found yourself in your marriage. What I say today is I hope this morning that the tension that we watched on the stage shakes us out of our hiding and moves us into a place, into a space that honors God and moves us into the fullness of life that God has for us in our marriages. See, marriage is, is wonderful, and marriage is full of hardship. Marriage is full of unspeakable joys, and marriage is also, right, marriage is also full of unspeakable hardship. It can be. The ship of marriage in the way that God intended is able to navigate steady seas with the sun shining and troubled storms. But when we live outside the bounds of his nautical path for our lives, we're inevitably headed toward a shipwreck. The scripture is clear that paths lead to places. And some of you this morning might find yourself on a path right now that is just going off course a little bit, and it's going to lead to a place that you never wanted to be. Others of you today, you've been on a path for quite some time that's led you to a place that you never wanted to be. So I hope this morning that we can take personal responsibility for our own lives under the authority of God for his glory in our marriages. And when, when, we, when we are led by ourselves, we will be deceived. But when led by God, we will be led into truth and life. So I want you to turn to your neighbor this morning. I want you to say this, if you're willing. Simply turn to them and say, I will respond to what God says to me today. So turn to your neighbor, make a commitment. I will respond to what God says to me today. All right, if you just blindly listen to the pastor, you're accountable, all right? So here we go. Here's a rule, a rule of kind of uh, engagement today. It is okay to not be okay, all right? It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be in a tough spot in your marriage and your life. And if you live long enough, you're probably gonna be in a tough spot. Anybody lived a long time, ever been in a tough spot, right? It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay not to tell someone. It's not okay not to tell someone, we can't go at this alone. We need help. You are not weak because you need help. It's just simply a truth of life. We all need help as we walk through life. So if you will this morning, if you'll stand with me in reverence and honor of reading God's word, we're gonna be in Ephesians 4, 17 through 31. If someone could find me a mic stand, that would be awesome. There we go. Um, Ephesians 4, 17 through 31, reads, thank you, good sir. Let's give Mike a hand. I love that guy. He's my favorite. So I just said he's my favorite, so take it for what you will. Okay. Ephesians 4, 17 through 31. Let's read. 
Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Father, reveal the truths of, these, of this text to, you, to us today that we might respond to you, to all that you have to say to us. And Lord, I ask and I pray, Lord, that commitment we made little bit ago that we would respond to what you say to us. Lord, I pray at least, at least for every person that's here, you would give them one, one thing that they might apply and respond to you in today. Lord, I pray you'd heal marriages, heal relationships, help us to live under your authority, not in the futility of our minds, but under your love and grace and care. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to focus today on 25 through 32 in the text, but I just want to run quickly through that 17 through 24. And so in 17 through 24, the, the passage goes like this. So, you know, now, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you no longer walk. And now this is the big idea of the big kind of chunk of this 17 through 24. No longer walk, meaning that there's a way in which we walk that we ought not walk, that we ought not go. God is saying, don't, don't, don't do this. And this is how those who don't know Jesus, those who disregard Jesus, how they live. They live in the futility of their minds. They dream up. And the result of this is they are darkened. They are alienated. They live in ignorance and they have hard hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sin 
meaning sensuality, greedy for cash. They practice every kind of impurity. They're seeking to find life outside of Jesus under numerous false gospels, saying this will make my life right. This will make my life pure. This will make my life good, which are lies, 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 because only Jesus can define us. Only Jesus can make our life well. Only Jesus can heal. Only Jesus can renew. Only in Jesus can we find life. But then he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you know him. His ways are different. Put off your old self. Take it off like a pair of clothes. Don't live in it anymore. Put it off. Bombs to your former way of life. It is corrupted through deceitful desires. Notice this again. We have wrong desires, meaning that everything you want and everything that makes, think, you think will make you happy doesn't mean it will and doesn't mean it's good for you. So, it says, what should we do? Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self like a cloak, like, 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 like a garment, like clothing. Put on new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, summation is, do not walk in the ways of the Gentiles and the futility of their minds, living how they want, putting away self, living in true righteousness and holiness, our behavior will then look like. And so now, 25 through 32 says, if this is true, if you're putting on your new self, your behavior will look like these things. So here's the five imperatives that we find in 25 through 32. Five imperatives, five commands, the five truths that everything hinges upon. The first is speak the truth. Now, I want to say this, that if this is true for marriage and it's true for relationships. Now, this text is literally specific to all of life and to all of our relationships. But I I believe even more so into the most intimate connection that we will have in this world in marriage. And God is asking us in marriage, if you want it to go well, these are attributes that will guide you, that will guard you, will keep you moving toward God's ways, navigating this kind of nautical path of life under his authority. So the first truth is speak the truth. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood. So what that means is that truth, not optional with others or self anymore, but I'm going to live as a truth teller in my life. I'm not going to deceive others by my attitudes and actions from what I really am. And I'm not going to deceive myself into who I am sometimes, we kind of can create these narratives about who we are ourselves that is more of who we wish to be than who we really are. Saying that I'm going to put away falsehood. I'm going to no longer be deceived. I'm going to come into the light. And hear this, this is true strength and peace. When we have nothing to hide, right? This is where peace and life come. When we live in falsehood with our lives and our lips, we hide and we live in fear. And this text is calling us to come out of hiding and receive the peace and the strength that is ours in Jesus. So it says, let each one of you, so putting away falsehood, let each one of you, the Southern version is all y'all, right? Everybody, everybody in the room. Let all y'all speak the truth with his neighbor. Verbally articulate what is true about yourself, about your situation, about where you find yourself. 
Why? Because we, for we are members one of another. In Christ, in this room, the body of Christ, we are one of another, meaning that when you harm others around you in the faith, you're only harming yourself. If we are one body, many parts, when we hurt each other, we are only hurting ourselves and ultimately our God. And how much more in marriage, when the two have become one, when we harm and go against one another, when we live in dishonesty, we are only hurting ourselves and the union in which we have in Christ, and we do not display him well. Until we are honest with one another, we are simply playing house. We cannot know each other, each other until we risk honesty. I'll say this, the the cost of being dishonest is far greater than the cost of honesty. The cost of being dishonest is far greater than the cost of honesty. And here's the thing, there is a cost to both, and, and we know it. But the cost of being dishonest is far greater than the cost. The, of being dishonest is far greater than the cost of honesty. The second truth in the text is be angry. Some of you are like, finally, I've been freed to be mad. Well, it says, be angry and do not sin. So you're not all scat free on this one. Be angry and do not sin. See, be angry. And what the text is saying is there is a righteous anger. There's an anger worth having that you're going to have that is true to life if you are living in reality at all. But righteous anger is brought by that which is evil and truly evil. And I I think sometimes we need to adjust our anger in our world, in our life. Because honestly, most of the time, our anger is just resulted in our pride and selfishness and it spews out to hurt someone else. Righteous anger is brought by that which is evil, murder, injustice, emotional abuse, physical abuse. Sexual abuse, slavery, adultery, persecution. These, these are things which are truly evil. Righteous anger is brought by that which is evil. Righteous anger is rooted in the righteousness of God, meaning that I recognize that God has a holy standard and that evil has come up against that holy standard of God. Righteous anger comes from righteous people who deal with their own sin and live in a righteous manner. If you have not repented to God recently, you have no business having any type of righteous anger because you're probably not a righteous person. Righteous anger comes from righteous people and only by walking with God in repentance and faith as a normative life will righteousness come. Now, righteousness is given to us through Jesus. There's a cultivation of this in our own life. Righteous anger comes from righteous people. And righteous anger is rooted in grief, not pride and selfishness. Even in our Savior, we see that his anger, when expressed righteously, it went only when, that's the only time he did, it was rooted in grief of what the people had done against God first. It says, be angry and do not sin. James 1.20 says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so it says, do not sin. So there's an anger, right, that 
doesn't produce righteousness. And so there's an out of bounds anger clearly in this text. And then it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, meaning resolve it quickly, as quickly as possible. Don't give up, get it done. It is dangerous. It will create bitterness in your soul. You must get rid of anger. You can be angry, but get rid of it as fast as you can because there is something harmful, 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 harmful that anger will do to you. And the root of anger played out in time is bitterness. Then it says, and give no opportunity for the devil. Why do we resolve it so quickly? Because if we don't, in our attitudes, in our actions, in our relationships, that root of bitterness will take hold, which is of the devil. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Make no mistake, The evil one wants you to be angry. He wants you to continue in your anger. He doesn't want you to resolve it, and he wants to sabotage your marriage and your life with bitterness. Anger that is worthy, consider it in your own life and in your own expressions. Ask yourself the question, what makes you really mad? And then ask yourself the question, is my anger rooted in God or in my selfishness and pride? If it is you, kill it. Because you are on your way to bitterness in a hurry. And again, I'll say this, just because you want to be something doesn't mean you are something. And unworthy anger is one of the biggest roadblocks to becoming who we were made and desire to be. The third truth in the text is get to work. Get to work. It's a bit in the mix of this. It's a bit parabolic in the way in which he expresses it. So he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Now that's the imperative, let him labor in the middle of this doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And so face value is this. Don't steal, earn your own. Turn to your neighbor and tell him not to steal. Just tell him real quick, right? We, this is the truth we know. Like this is the thing in the time and the day where Paul was saying, hey, stealing was normative. It was a way that you kind of made your own. And what, Paul, what, what God is saying to them through the apostle Paul is, hey, don't steal, right? Make your own way. But there's something else underneath this. I believe it's also saying to be a giver, not a taker, right? A taker is the thief. Takes, 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 and that's how they make it through life. But he says, don't be a taker, be a giver. Let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Text calls us to give, give, give. We end up in these places of hardship in our marriages because we have empty batteries, because we have stopped charging one another by giving to one another. The text calls us in our relationships, in our marriages, to be givers, not takers. Now, I'll say this that for some of you, you think, I can give, but I'm not gonna get anything back. And I know it because I've been in this a long time. I've known them a long time and I get nothing back and it's impossible. 
going to share with you a truth that I believe will transform your life, and I believe that it's all over the Word of God. That if you are waiting for someone in this world to be your fulfillment, you are trusting in a false gospel. You've made them a little J Jesus in your life in which they cannot fulfill. Debbie Johnston is not my hope. She is not my life, and she does not define how I love or give or care. Now, am I honest that sometimes I put her in that place? Sure, I do. But Jesus, when we seek him, he can fill your battery in a way no one else can. He can fill your heart with love, kindness, compassion, forgiveness in a way that no one else can. And from that well alone will we honor God in our marriages and our relationships. And so what he's saying here is get to work. And I believe this, be a giver, not a taker. And give from that which you've been given, which we're going to talk about more in a minute. See, the Lord is the one who charges us up and gives us what we need to make it in our relationships. The fourth, and the fourth and fifth are kind of the negative and the positive. They're combined. The fourth is guard your speech. Guard your speech says, let no corrupting talk come from your mouth. This is how your mom said it to you growing up. If you, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all, right? Let no corrupting talk come from your mouth. So hear your mama in this, right? Let no, it's like the Bible version. Like, let no corrupting talk come from your mouth. Right? Build up as fits the occasion. This is intuition, knowing in the environments and the spaces that I find myself, in the living rooms, the bedroom, the, the living rooms, the bedrooms, the hallways, the kitchens, the workspaces, the end of the driveway conversations, that I, that I see my situation and I work hard to be a blessing, to give grace to those who hear, to be a blessing to those around me in life. Now, Understand, this is not saying, okay, I'm going to be a glass half full kind of person. So a glass half full kind of person might say it like this. You're standing at the end of your driveway with your neighbor. You say, how are things going? He goes, well, not very good. My mom has cancer. And I go, oh, man, how old is she? He goes, well, she's, she's 85. And I said, well, at least she's had 85 years of life. That's not really encouraging, right? The guy's kind of like, oh, uh, yeah, still stinks. <laughs> like, mom still has cancer. But it might sound something like this. And that's really hard. I hate that for you. My brother had cancer. It was one of the hardest times we went through in life. If I can do anything for you, I would. Can I pray for you? You guys need a meal? Right, it's called Empathy. It's called connecting with people at a deeper level, not just trying to make the clouds that are gray somehow sunshiny because they're not sunshiny, they're gray. And sometimes we just have to say, the clouds are really gray right now and that must be really hard. If I can help you, I will. And maybe even when God tells us to help them some way, we just do it because we want to be a blessing to people. We want to build them up. Right? Empathy, truth, and love is how we do this. Then it says, 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He is your sealer of salvation. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He is your sealer of salvation. Meaning that when we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we were indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God and he has sealed us until the day of salvation. We have been indwelt with him. And what this text is going to say is when you don't, when we don't operate in step with God and step with the Holy Spirit, we can grieve, we can diminish like the effective work of the Holy Spirit in our lives through our actions, attitudes toward one another. So it says... Put these things in a way in order to not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Put away bitterness. This is in speech and disposition that has become habitual because of the anger that has taken residence in our heart and life put it away. Wrath, an excited and aggressive state of mind wishing hurt and harm toward another. Anger, dislike, enmity, the root of it all. Clamor, chatter, to raise a multitude of voices against something or someone to shut it down. Slander, running down someone's character, shaping others' minds against them. Malice, wanting evil so much that I premeditated it in my own mind and heart and might even take action upon it. In order to put these things away, it takes a personal commitment to holiness under the mighty hand of God. A death to self, a death to preferences, a, living, a, a commitment to living under the eyes of God. There's three ways, I believe, that the scripture teaches us that we experience the presence of God in our life. And I believe these three are essential in order to put these things to death. One is the essential presence of God. It goes like this. Where can I hide or flee from your presence? Where is it that you won't see my bitterness? Where is it that you won't see my anger? Where is it? Is there a height? Is there a depth? Is there a closet? Is there an outdoor conversation where no one can hear? There's nowhere, God, that I can flee or hide from you. It's one recognizing his essential presence in your life. There's nowhere that you can hide or flee from God. Second is his cultivated presence. Scriptures talk about it like this in the hearts of men and women. It says, Lord, I long for you. I desire you. In the quiet place, I find you. It is this working diligently to be with God, to find God, to walk with God, to experience his presence in aloneness. Jesus modeled this with his life. He'd wake up early in the morning and go to quiet places so that he could be with God. He could get his instructions for the day that God would instruct him and lead him and guide him. And so us, we cultivate the presence of God. And then third is the manifest presence of God. It says it like this in scripture. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake in your presence. I believe this can happen in a closet alone with God, and I believe it does with people, that there's this 
manifestation of God where he does something supernatural in our very midst. I say that, one, because God's word says so, and I say it, two, because I've experienced it myself. But I believe one of the common places where we find this is in this room where God falls down amongst his people as they're gathered together in a very special way. And when his presence falls down in a very special way, he brings healing and he brings renewal as we respond to his holiness, as we respond to his word. And I believe even this morning, if you've had tears in your eyes as you listen to the sermon, I believe that God's manifesting himself in a very special way, moving in your heart and life, asking you to respond. But oftentimes we don't because somehow when we walked into the room, we stayed in the lobby. And rather saying, God, I want you to move in my life, we sit as critics. We sit waiting to be done rather than responding to the manifest presence of God. And I believe that every week God manifests himself in a very special way amongst us. The question is, not do we respond to a preacher, I'm nobody. The question is, do we respond to God and his word? That we might align ourselves with his ways, that we might glorify him with all of our life. This takes a personal commitment to holiness under the mighty hand of God, a death to self. In our marriages, a death to our preferences and living under the eyes of our God. And the third, the fourth, the fifth, the third, fourth, fifth, the fifth, and the last is the command to be tender-hearted. And I use that. There's three words here that we could have used, but be tender-hearted because I believe it articulates the heart of all three of these. Be. What God is saying to us this morning is, oh, do this. Out of everything else, I'm telling you some knots, but do this, I implore you, Be kind to one another. Opposite of all the above. Be tender-hearted. Be compassionate and gentle. Anybody want some people in their life that are tender-hearted, compassionate, and gentle with us? Be forgiving. Toward one another. Why? Be forgiving one another as God in Christ, if you mark anything up in this whole text, God in Christ forgiven, has forgiven you. If you don't have forgiveness to give, maybe it's because you only pull from your own well, which is empty. God's well of grace is deep, it is wide. And it is endless. And when we pull from his well of forgiveness that we have been given in Christ, we have an unending well to give. We have a battery that can be charged and can charge others. See, Jesus, he came. The father sent his son to bear our sin and shame, to bear your sin and shame that you have incurred in your life in rebellion against him and his ways and his purposes. Jesus bore our sin 
The father poured his wrath out upon him that was due us. And through repentance, turning from our sin and faith, turning toward his grace and his promises, we can have life in him forever. The ultimate price has been paid for us. Jesus came, he bled, he died, he was buried, he rose, he ascended. He has paved a way for us to have relationship with the Father forever. Our sin has been paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is a forgiveness that you have received that now defines how you live. Now, I'll say this morning that there's not one person in this room that has not failed at some level with all five of these. But just because all of us have doesn't mean all of us should. And it doesn't mean that we don't pursue something better and more holy than this. There is a forgiveness we have received that defines the forgiveness we give in life, in our relationships, and especially in our marriages. So there's four commitments from this text I believe that God would have for us. Four commitments in marriage and in relationships. The first is a commitment saying, I will be honest. I am going to be brave enough to be known, all of it, and let the peace that comes through honesty come in time. And I want you to know that if you are honest today, today might not be the most peaceful of days. But peace will come in time. Second, I will be diligent. I will be diligent to be filled by Jesus and to give to others. I'm going to be a giver, a battery filler, and enjoy the gift of being a blessing with my life. The third, I will be a builder. I will be a builder with my mouth, my life, my actions. To those around me, especially my spouse, will be built up and encouraged by my life. I will be a builder. And the fourth, I will be forgiving. I will be forgiving. I will let the forgiveness I have undeservingly received from Jesus define how I give forgiveness and grace in my marriage and my life. Now, if you remember, I've mentioned it a couple times, you made a commitment when we started saying that I will respond today to what God says to me. So I believe that God has already spoken and so this preacher needs to talk less and let you deal with him. See, we have a rescuer who brings healing and is calling us to response. Might we commit to these things that he has spoken to us today? See, we are either going to give opportunity for the evil one to enter in and to create greater roots of bitterness or we will respond to God and let God enter in and bring what only he can. 
So I'm going to ask you this morning to bow your heads and close your eyes and respond for a moment before we sing to what God has said to you today. Maybe today your marriage is great. Maybe today your marriage is struggling. Maybe simply today your marriage is dull. Or maybe today your marriage is X, Y, Z, whatever. If your marriage is great, maybe this morning you'll pray in humility, recognizing how fragile you are and recommit your life to these things. Maybe if your marriage is struggling in a minute when we stand and sing, maybe even if your marriage is great in a minute when we stand and sing, you'll come down front here. Some of the pastors and elders are here and we wanna pray for you because it's okay to not be okay. but It's not okay not to tell someone. Maybe your marriage is dull and you'll come and receive prayer that life might be infused into your marriage again. Maybe you'll come and receive prayer that your marriage, your relationships might be all that God has for them to be for his glory and our good. This morning we committed to respond to what God has said. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna sing. Some of the elders and their wives are gonna come down front. Some of the pastors and their wives are gonna come down front. I'm going to ask you to respond. Maybe it's uncomfortable for you, but you're going to put your hand on your wife's shoulder, your husband's shoulder, and you're going to say, let's, let's go get prayer. Just because you walk down these aisles doesn't mean you're a train wreck, but it might. Might we be strong enough to get what we need to move forward? So I'm going to pray. Let's respond. Father, we need you. Lord, we recognize this morning that life is really, really challenging and hard and there's so much against us. But God, we know that you are for us and Jesus, you are the one who came and died and rose that we might have life. Jesus, you are the one who rescues. You are the one who washes. You are the one who redeems. You are the one who restores. You are the one who sets all things right. So Jesus, we turn to you this morning and ask that you give us the strength to respond to you today. Help us. This I ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand, we're gonna sing. I'm going to invite the pastors and wives and elders and their wives to come down front. We're here to pray for you this morning. And maybe you don't want prayer. You just want to come to these altars with your spouse and pray. Whatever God says, might we respond, commit to whatever he has spoken over us today. Let's sing.